Excel Pro. If the European Patent Office granted a patent, then you were able to validate it, for example, in the UK, in France, in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, and so on. And now you can just validate it as a unitary patent in 17 countries at one time. Welcome to Excel Pro IP Law, where we provide expert interviews and coaching to accelerate your professional development. I'm Neil Ungerleiter. Today, we're going to talk about the Unified Patent Court with Rolf Clayson. Rolf is a patent attorney at Mikalski, Hutterman and Partner in Dusseldorf, Germany, and the host of the IP Fridays podcast. We talk about the first months of the Unified Patent Court, national patent courts in Europe, and how to learn more about UPC applications and opt-outs. Excel Pro's expert interviews and coaching accelerate your professional development. Our mission is to improve your day-to-day job performance and make your career goals achievable. For a transcript of this episode, and to learn more about the Excel Pro IP Law community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O dot com. And now, Rolf Clayson. Today, we're going to talk with Rolf Clayson. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your work and your background? Yes, I'm a chemist by trade. I got my degree from SUNY Albany in New York. And then I first worked in the chemical industry in Germany before switching to becoming a patent attorney. And then also I went to law school a little bit, not as much as the U.S. patent attorneys have to, but a little bit, and became patent attorney in 2006 and have enjoyed that very much since then. I'm now equity partner with Michalski Hüttermann and Partner. We are about one of the largest patent law firms in Germany, about 100 people. We have several locations, but our main location is Düsseldorf, where I also work. I'm focusing on patents, some trademarks, and mostly prosecution, but some litigation as well. And for listeners in the United States who may be unfamiliar, what is the Unified Patent Court? The Unified Patent Court just opened its doors in June this year. It's a centralized patent litigation system, a new system that was established before the advent of the Unified Patent Court. The patentees had to sue other parties, the defendants in all the different countries in Europe, let's say in Germany and in France and in Italy and in UK. And now they can sue these parties in one centralized court. The main locations are in Paris, in Munich, and in Milano, in Italy. But the first instance proceedings mostly take place at so-called local divisions or regional divisions. And so the litigants don't really have to change their mindset too much because the most important locations are in Munich and in Düsseldorf so far. That's where also the most litigation took place before the UPC, the Unified Patent Court, opens its doors. And Rolf, from your perspective, what are the key differences between the UPC and other patent systems you've worked with? So that was a major change because now the patentees of European patents, once they use the system, if they do not opt out their patents, which we also talk about later, they can sue parties in 17 different countries at the moment. At the moment, 17 parties ratified the agreement and are party to this agreement. 
but more are coming soon. It will grow. So that is a big change. You can get an injunction against defendant in 17 countries instead of one. The UPC is now covering about the same number of people compared to, for example, U.S. federal courts or so. So now it became, before we were just a tiny little country, Germany, where most of the patent litigation took place. And now we have a court that is, at least for the amount of people living in the region that are covered by the court, comparable to the U.S. So that is an important change. And yeah, let's see how the patentees are using the system. At the moment, they are quite reluctant because they don't know how the case law will evolve. And nobody really knows that. But most of the judges that are currently working at the UPC have been very experienced judges in their respective countries. About two-thirds of the judges come from Germany. We can expect not to be surprised too much because before the UPC, about, let's say, maybe two-thirds of all patent litigation cases in Europe took place in Germany. So it's not really a coincidence that two-thirds of the judges are now also German. And because the UPC operates alongside national courts, do you anticipate an increase in litigation in the near term? Actually, I don't think so, that the overall litigation cases will increase, maybe a little bit. At the moment, I see that the strategy seems to be that parties are still suing the other parties nationally, but they also sue them with the UPC. So I think maybe in the short term, we see a slight increase in overall numbers of patent litigation cases in Europe. But there is a time frame of about seven years at the moment. And after this time frame, all patent litigation arising from European patents granted by the European Patent Office will take place at the Unified Patent Court. So then at that point of time, most litigation probably will take place at the UPC, except the filing strategies of the applicants change. With some, I already see that they are now filing more national patent applications, like German patent applications, in parallel to the European patent applications, just to have the option to also sue in Germany in the future. What are some challenges or issues that have arisen during litigation in the UPC? How have you seen attorneys address them so far? That's difficult to say because the files are not public. And the UPC only opened its doors in June this year. So we have a handful of cases that are already decided. So we know the decision. These are preliminary injunctions, mostly, that have been issued. And I think they are mostly in line with the case law that we already know, mostly from German patent litigation courts. And a little bit of a mixture with the European Boards of Appeal of the European Patent Office but nothing really unexpected. Actually, it's a much more streamlined process. So far, if you wanted to sue someone in Germany, the other party could file a nullity action to invalidate the patent at a different court, at the Bundespatentgericht, the Federal Patent Court in Germany. So it was a bifurcated system where there was the infringement proceedings at the civil court and then the revocation action at the Federal Patent Court. This led to some very strange situations where the litigation court already decided infringement, but only three years later, the federal patent court decided about the invalidity of the patent. So that was a little strange sometimes and difficult to handle. That is now much easier. 
both validity and infringement are decided by the same court in the same proceedings. So once a patent litigation case is received by the UPC, then the defendant has the option to file basically a revocation action in the same proceedings. Both are decided at the same time with the same court and the deadlines are quite strict. There is no decision in real patent litigation cases so far, except for the preliminary injunction decisions. But we expect the duration of the first instance to be no longer than one year, which is a record time for invalidity action so far. So actually, I think things become more easy and more streamlined. How can attorneys educate their clients on the unique aspects of UPC proceedings? How do you manage client expectations around the new court and set the stage for UPC versus one of the national courts? That's really difficult to answer and also very difficult for the clients to decide because we have absolutely no experience how the case law will be and how the UPC will decide. We can only estimate that they will be very similar to the German case law, the French case law, and maybe the Italian case law, the Dutch case law where most of the judges come from. But these are not harmonized, these the legislations. And a little bit different is also the case law of boards of appeal of the European Patent Office. So we don't really know. Actually, in my own podcast, IP Fridays, I interviewed Judge Kabinski, who is basically the president of the board of appeal of the Unified Patent Court, so the highest instance. And he told me inventive step is something or so forth. There is some topic where we don't really know which way to go. The Federal Court of Justice in Germany have their own way of deciding obviousness or inventive step. And that's a little bit different from the boards of appeal of the European Patent Office. And that is really a little bit different from the courts in the Netherlands or in France. We don't really know how inventive step or obviousness is decided and what criteria are used at the moment. That also leaves the clients a little bit unclear how the cases will be decided. But on the other hand, we encourage our clients to join the system and not opt out their patents because maybe it's the same as with the European Patent Office, the new system when that was introduced in the 70s. If you join the system early on, you have the chance to craft the case law, basically. You have more influence on how the case law will evolve if you are a party to one of the early cases. Then you at least have the chance to submit your arguments and to argue for certain principles and criteria to assess different things like, for example, inventive step or obviousness. That is important. And a lot of the larger industrial clients, they see that. And a lot of them are not opting out all their patents. And some even do not opt out any of the patents and join with all their European patents. Some are also in parallel, as I said, filing German patents and then opting in their European patents to see one technological field is a little hesitant, and that is pharmaceuticals, because they are opting out a lot of their patents, because now the patent can be invalidated for a lot of countries in one proceeding. And they are afraid that they can lose patent protection in all countries with one proceedings and they don't know the case law, how, for example, inventor step is decided. They are unsure whether this will be in their favor or not, in the, how the case law evolves. And so they are hesitant to use their patents at the Unified Patent Court. 
But on the other hand, I don't really understand this argument because if the situation before the UPC was that way, if there was like national proceedings like infringement and revocation action in parallel, and then let's say the patent was invalidated, and then there was not really a good chance that the patent was upheld in another country. So if a German court decided the patent is invalid, or let's say a French court decided the patent is invalid, then the German court wouldn't decide the other way, typically. I don't really understand this argument too much to withdraw the patents just because they are prone to revocation in so many countries at one time, because you couldn't enforce the patent anyway, also before that, if the patent was invalidated in one important jurisdiction. Is the process of applying for a unitary patent substantially different from that of a traditional patent? Not really. It was solved quite easy for the patentees. So far, if you received a European patent, you were able to validate the patent in certain countries. For example, if the European Patent Office granted a patent, then you were able to validate it, for example, in the UK, in France, in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, and so on. And now you can just validate it as a unitary patent in 17 countries at one time. You have to pay a little more, file one translation, and then you are good to go to have a patent in 17 countries. So it's very easy and very straightforward to get a unitary patent. And you are free to also validate the patent in the different countries. For example, there are many countries that are not party to the UPC agreement yet, and some will never be. The UK is not a part of the EU anymore, and they cannot join the system. That, that's what my feeling is. And also other countries like Switzerland or Turkey or Iceland, they are all party to the European patent system of the European Patent Office, but they cannot join this agreement. So it will always be the case that you can always choose to validate European granted patent as a national patent in different countries, but also now you have the option to validate it as a unitary patent. For listeners outside of participating countries, are there any resources you can recommend for attorneys who want to better understand the UPC for themselves and their clients? Yes, the Unified Patent Court website is quite informative. They have all the agreements, guidelines, and everything on their website. Also, the European Patent Office has a very helpful subsite on their website explaining the new system and the unitary patent. In addition, for example, our law firm offers a newsletter where we inform our clients and other interested people about the UPC or on our website. We have articles explaining the unified patent system. So if your listeners wanted to go there, it's mhpatent.de. And it's also in English, of course. There's a ton of information about the unified patent court. And actually, two of my partners wrote a legal commentary the big books where all the case law is summarized for a certain topic. They already published two books on the UPC. One also appeared in English of my partner Alois Hüttermann with one of the most important publishers in the patent literature field here in Germany. If any listeners are interested, I can tell them where to get the book with an overview of the UPC system in English language. Thanks, Rolf. And I wanted to shift gears a little bit to talk about your career. You come from a chemistry background, and you mentioned earlier attending SUNY Albany, United States. What led you to intellectual property law as a career path? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting path. 
When I was studying for my PhD at SUNY Albany, my advisor was John Welch, an organic chemistry professor there. He was a very clever guy and he invented a lot of things, but he didn't really like talking with the patent attorneys there. <laughs> and it was too dry for him, I don't know. And it somehow became my job to talk to the patent attorneys and go there to their office and explain to them what this was. And that was fun for me to get a first introduction to patent law this way. And then uh, later on, when I joined a nanotechnology startup that was spun out of the Bayer corporate group, I had a lot to do with patent attorneys because firstly, we, of course, filed patent applications. But then more importantly, I was product manager. I led the sales efforts of the technology. And to get to know more what the competitors are doing, I was talking with the patent attorney that was in charge of our firm a lot. And he always gave me reports like what the competitors are working on and what technologies. And I had the chance to talk with him about his career and his work and what he was doing. And then, as with a lot of startups, the startup went bankrupt. So I had to decide what to do. And then I asked this patent attorney how to become a patent attorney. And then he said, you have to go to law school a little bit. So that was a tough decision, but I never regret to have taken that decision to become a patent attorney. From my point of view, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's intellectually challenging to dive into these new technologies, and it's really interesting. I've been a patent attorney since 2006, so quite a long time now. That was Dr. Rolf Clayson, host of the IP Fridays podcast. Rolf, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for interviewing me. For a transcript of this conversation, and to learn more about the Excel Pro IP Law community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. Thanks again to today's guest. If your colleagues in any sector or the IP law field might be interested, please let them know about Excel Pro. As our community grows, it grows more useful for its members. Remember to send your comments and career questions to questions at joinexcelpro.com. You can also call us at 614-642-2235. That's 614-64-EXCEL. Excel Pro IP Law is powered by Kaplan. The producers are J. Ray Sparks and Jeff Eisenman. The team is Tueda Kulkarni, Kaylin Cole, Jared Goff, Inesh Bose, Arnesh Bose, Matt Crossman, and me, Neil Angelaider. Remember, we excel together. See you next time.